right, 12.35 crowd, I've been waiting for you all day. All right, are you excited to be in the house of God this Sunday afternoon? I am excited to be here. I'm excited to have the opportunity to share with you this weekend. And uh, we're going to go ahead and jump right into uh, John chapter 13. All right, if you got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to John chapter 13. I'll give you a moment to get there, and I, I do want to say a special thank you to uh, my parents, the lead pastors of Potential Church, Pastor Troy and Steph Grambling, for the opportunity to share with you this weekend. They're actually overseas in Europe, and uh, they've been attending the Global Kingdom Partnership Network Conference, and uh, this conference gathers pastors and business leaders from all over the world, some of the largest churches and businesses from all around the world, and uh, if you remember last year we hosted the conference here in Miami and uh, at this conference is where we helped raise three million dollars for the persecuted church over in the Middle East and uh, so they're over in Europe right now and dreaming with pastors and business leaders uh, about how we can bring Christ into a hurting and broken world so they've been over there they send their love and they will be back next weekend as we kick off our Easter services can you believe it Easter is already here one week away and uh, I'm so excited for all that's in store as you can tell we've kind of already gotten started on our, our stage design we've got these LED uh, uh, chandeliers don't they look awesome wait 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 till you see next weekend who's going to be swinging from them but uh, it's going to be exciting going to be a great weekend we've got a lot going on we've got a billion and one services at all of our campuses and if you visit easteratpotential.com you can see service times and uh, locations and we've also got our eggapalooza that's coming up on March 26th we're dropping 15,000 eggs from a helicopter come on it doesn't get any better than that and we've got seriously the most insane prizes we're giving away TVs Disney World tickets uh, Chick-fil-a for a year all right this is serious this is a serious egg drop and uh, it's going to be fun for the whole family you can't miss out and then we actually kicked off our Easter season because at Potential Church it's not just one weekend it's actually an Easter season and we kicked it off this past Thursday night with our color war egg hunt for our middle and high school students and we got some pictures we're going to put up on the screens to show you guys I was at color war and can I tell you it was insane we had uh, nearly a thousand middle and high school students that came out to color war egg hunt over a hundred first-time guests and listen a hundred and nine middle and high school students accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior at Color War Egg Hunt. That's something to cheer about. That's something to praise God about. So you know what? We've already had an incredible start to our Easter season at Potential Church, and I'm excited about all that God's going to do next weekend. Amen? All right. Are you there yet? John chapter 13. We're going to pick it up in verse 33. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. It says this. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, little children. He calls them children. I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you are not able to come. Now see, Jesus is speaking to the very near future. He knows that his time on earth is soon coming to an end. And you know, the, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, not only do they record the miracles of Christ and the ministry that he did here on earth but they also take into account his death and resurrection which we're going to celebrate next weekend and Jesus 
knowing that his time is coming to an end, knowing that, that his, the time for the purpose in which he came to earth for to be fulfilled, knowing that it's near, he says to his disciples, his, his boys, his guys that have been with him from the beginning and they've been traveling with him and they've been uh, watching the miracles that he's performed. And, and he says to them, listen guys, the time is drawing near. The time's drawing near for me to fulfill the purpose in which I came for. And when that time comes, I will no longer be with you. And then in verse 34, it says that he gives them a new commandment. Now, this is important. This is one of the very last commandments that Jesus gives to his disciples before his death and resurrection. All right, and if it's one of his very last commandments, that means that it must be important. It must be profound. It must be a game changer. And it says in verse 34, it says, Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another. Somebody say that. Love one another. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you too are to love one another. Verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you have love and unselfish concern for one another. Now, when I read that, I think it looks great on paper. I mean, it reads beautifully on paper. But how many of you know that sometimes it's not always easy to live out? It's not always easy to love one another as Christ has loved us. And what I've learned is that it's one thing to read it. It's a different thing to understand it. And it's an entirely different thing to practice it. And so over the next few moments, I want to speak to you from this thought. Real love. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather in your house today. Father, I pray that, that your Holy Spirit would do, what, would do what I cannot, God. I pray that you would uh, nudge our hearts, God. Open up our hearts to receive the word that you have for us today, God. I pray that you would bring healing to those who need healing, comfort to those who need comfort, conviction to those who need con conviction. Father, our hearts are open. I pray that you would remove any distraction before us, God. Let nothing distract us from the word that you have for us. We love you, we praise you, we bless you, and it's in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you give God just a quick shout of praise, because he's deserving, amen? Amen. And why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, I am happy that I sat next to you. It's all right, lie if you have to. Now turn to the other person and say, aren't you happy you sat next to me? Listen, I got a question for, uh, for everybody in the house today. How many of you have ever looked up the definition of a word on Urban Dictionary? So you know what it is. For those of you who may not know what Urban Dictionary is, it's an online dictionary commonly used for slang words. It gives you the definition for any slang word that's out there. And, you know, the interesting thing about Urban Dictionary is that it allows anyone to log in and to give their perspective or their definition on any particular word or slang word. And as I was studying and researching this whole idea of love, I thought, what better way to see how our world and our society views love than to look it up on Urban Dictionary? 
So that's what I did. And uh, I want to share a few of these definitions with you. One person identified love as this. The most spectacular, indescribable, deep, euphoric feeling. Somebody else described love as this. An inexplainable yet very strong feeling for someone. Another person defined love as, as this. Love, it makes the sun shine a bit brighter. Makes the birds chirp a bit louder. And it makes your heart beat a bit faster. Somebody else said this. I love this one. Love, either a horrible disease or a blessing. (laughs) Or what about this one? Love, a misunderstanding between two fools. (laughs) You'll love this one. Uh, Love, the reason people live or the reason they kill themselves. This is my favorite. This is my favorite. Love, nature's way of tricking people into reproducing. (laughs) You see, our world has a very messed up idea of what love actually is. But you see, in John chapter 13, Jesus tells his disciples, listen, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. It's not a selfish love. It's not a shallow love. Listen, it's that kind of love that nailed Jesus Christ to the cross for our sin. It's that kind of love that covers a multitude of sins. It's that very love that literally brings us up out of our pit of despair and into his glorious light. That's the kind of love that Jesus is talking about in John chapter 13. And so I want to share with you. Uh, just, just a few thoughts uh, from, from John chapter 13 about what real love actually is. And um, uh, if, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 5. I want to go back a couple of chapters. And you see, what's interesting is when Jesus gave this commandment to his disciples, love one another as I have loved you, in John chapter 13, he actually modeled it out in John chapter 5. See, there's great leadership wisdom to learn from Jesus. Before he gave a commandment, he modeled it out himself. And in John chapter 5 in particular, uh, I believe Jesus gives us some wisdom on what real Christ-like love looks like. So if you got your Bibles, we're going to start in John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, later on, there was a Jewish feast. Everybody say Jewish feast. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, there is a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda. It has five alcoves, and in these alcoves lay a great number of people who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the stirring of the water. For the angel of the Lord went down into the pool at appointed seasons and stirred up the water. The first one to go in after the water was stirred was healed of his disease." Verse 5, there was a certain man there who had been ill for 38 years. Say 38 years. That's a long time. It says when Jesus noticed him lying there helpless, knowing that he had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? See, real love seeks opportunity. Real love seeks opportunity. You know, my wife and I, we've been married for just over a year now, and uh, it's been a great year, best year of my life. I hope she could say the same. And uh, when you're a newlywed, you tend to get a lot of marriage advice, even when you don't ask for it. 
And so we've had many couples come up to us over the year and, and offer us some marriage advice. And, you know, one of the most common pieces of advice that we get is this. Look for ways to honor one another. More than anything else, that's what other couples say to us. Be intentional about looking for opportunities to honor one another. Because, listen, honor doesn't just happen. Right? I mean, our skin is naturally selfish, consumed with our own thoughts, our own desires, our own wants, our own needs. And so we, we have to be intentional about looking for opportunities to honor one another because it doesn't just happen. And I believe the same is true when it comes to loving other people. We have to look for opportunities to express love to other people because if we don't, it won't happen. And in the text, it says that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for a Jewish festival. All right. It was a feast. It was a party and it was a religious gathering. And so this was the festival that all the, the Pharisees and, you know, the Pharisees were the ones in the Bible that, you know, believed religion was all about the law. And if you broke the law, you were condemned and, and you were no longer clean. You couldn't fit into their little group. They were hypocrites. So this is, this is a religious gathering. The Pharisees would have been at, the priests would have been at, and Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem for the festival. And he sees a man you see, that's what I love about Jesus. There can be a sea full of people, but he spots the one who needs him the most. And he sees this man who has been ill for 38 years. And it says that he sees this man at, at the pool of Bethesda. Now, this was a, a very unique pool. And it says in the text that, that during appointed seasons, the angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the water. And when the water was stirred up, the first one to get in would be healed of their disease. So this was a common hot spot for anybody who had any type of sickness, any type of illness, leprosy, if they were paralyzed, lame, whatever it was. This was a common hangout place for them. They would literally wait for the appointed season that the water would be stirred up so that they could get in and receive their healing. And it says that, that Jesus, while he was on his way to this party, that he took notice of this man who had been ill for 38 years. See, he saw an opportunity. It was the feast. It was the party that brought him to Jerusalem. But then he found a, a much greater purpose. He saw an opportunity to perform a miracle, to change somebody else's life. And I just wonder how many opportunities do we have every single day we walk out that door to leave a Christ-like imprint on someone else's life? There are opportunities all around us. There are opportunities in your workplace. There are opportunities in your school, in your neighborhood, in your city, at that daycare that you drop your child off at, at that park that you take your child to. There are opportunities everywhere you look to leave a Christ-like imprint on someone else's life. But so many times we miss them, not because we're bad people, but simply because we tend to care about ourselves more. It's very easy to get caught up in our own world, in our own problems, in what's going right for us or what's going wrong for us, that we miss the need that surrounds us. And I think a lot of times we can get so consumed by our own needs that we miss the greater need of the people around us. See, Jesus was intuitive to the need that was in front of him. 
And I just wonder how many needs are right in front of you that God has placed you in that realm of influence. And listen, I don't care who you are in this room. Somebody is watching you. You have influence over someone, whether it's a younger sibling, whether it's a parent, whether it's a child, whether it's a student, whether it's an athlete, whatever it may be, you have influence over someone. God has placed you in a realm of influence to be a beacon of light, to be a beacon of hope and faith in that realm of influence. And so Jesus... Jesus was intuitive to the need in his realm of influence. Are you intuitive to the need in your realm of influence? Jesus saw an opportunity. He was on his way to the party, and I can just see the disciples now. All right, and if you, if, when you read the word of God, see the disciples, um, they were great guys, but they were not perfect. There are many examples of them messing up or them missing the mark or them not, not seeing what Jesus was trying to do. And I can just picture them now saying, Jesus, we got a party to get to. Now, I, I, I know this man needs healing. There's a lot of people that need healing at the pool of Bethesda. But you know what, Jesus, this is not on the itinerary. We need to get to the party. Jesus, we got to get there before all the tostones are gone. We got to get there. We got to get there before all the wine is gone. We'll come back. We'll come back. I can just see the disciples now. But see, Jesus' eyes were not focused on the party, even though that's what drew him to Jerusalem. His eyes were focused on the opportunity to change someone's life. And I just wonder what could happen if you and I, if we took the focus off of maybe what drew us to that career or to that relationship or to that city or that neighborhood, and we put our eyes on the opportunity that God has set before us to leave a Christ-like impact on the people that surround us. I just wonder what this world could look like. Because the truth of the matter is we live in a broken world that is searching and hungry for love and acceptance. And listen, if you just turn on the news and you see all the chaos and all the, the disaster that ensues all around the world, it's easy to get startled and it's easy to, to become afraid or to become fearful or just think, when is Jesus going to come back and, and, and take us, right? But, but see, I really believe you, we can watch all the political debates we want to. We can learn all about what bills, what laws, what policies we need to pass. And, and all those things are good. Hear me. But, but I really believe that it is the love that Jesus talks about in John 13. I'm not talking about a love that's just expressed in words. I'm talking about a love that knows no boundaries, that knows no ends. It's that kind of love that is going to change the world. It's that kind of love. It's that Christ-like love that you and I carry on the inside of us that's going to impact the world. That's what people are going to see. Real love seeks opportunities. It seeks opportunities. And listen, sometimes those opportunities are simple. Sometimes it's just a smile. Do you know the impact that a smile can have on somebody else who's having a rough day? Sometimes it's a compliment. It's as simple as a compliment. You know, we live in a world that, that really likes to tear other people down, that really likes to gossip, that really likes to speak words of, of defeat and failure. Do you know how far it can go when you give just one compliment to somebody? Someone in your family. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your coworker. It's as simple as an invite to church. It's as simple as, as taking just, a, just a, a minute or two to pray for somebody. It, simple, seemingly insignificant things can leave a lasting imprint on the lives of others. What opportunities lie before you? Real love 
seeks opportunity, but it also expresses genuine concern for others. It expresses a genuine, sincere concern for others. Jesus saw the opportunity to perform a miracle, but then he asked this man a very important question. He asked him, do you want to get well? And see, I think Jesus was speaking more uh, to more than just his physical condition. See, I'm sure Jesus knew the answer to that. Do you want to get well? <laughs> no, Jesus, I love being sick. <laughs> it's awesome. I'd love to just hang out here for a few more years. Jesus, you, you go to the party. No, Jesus knew the answer to that. Jesus wasn't just speaking to his physical condition. Jesus was speaking to his spiritual condition. Do you want to get well? Do you want to be set free from that bondage? Do you want to be forgiven for your sins? Do you want to be well? See, that's what I love about Jesus is he isn't just concerned about what's on the outside. He's consumed by what's on the inside. And he was concerned about this man. He was concerned about his well-being. You know, if you look at the people around you, I'm sure there are people that, that you think they have it all together. You know what I'm talking about? You know those people that on the outside, they just look like they've got it all together. Their hair, they never have a bad hair day. They always got the right clothes. They always looked put together. They never looked stressed out. They got the perfect job, the perfect husband or, or wife, the perfect kids, the perfect car, the perfect house. You can look at somebody on the outside, but sometimes it's a whole different story on the inside. A whole different story on the inside. And you, do, you ever get, do you ever feel that nudge that God places in your heart that you just need to go up to somebody and maybe it's, it's giving them a compliment, maybe it's speaking an encouraging word over their life, maybe it's a prayer. You ever get those nudge? Listen, I believe God places those nudge in our hearts because even if we think that person may not need it, God knows the condition of their well-being. And God may see that they are broken, that they are hurting. They may look like they have it all together on the outside, but on the inside they are on the verge of giving up hope. And God knows that one compliment, that one word, of encouragement, your genuine concern for them can do wonders in their life. Can do wonders in their life. Real love expresses a genuine and sincere concern for others. You know, in Romans 12, 9, Paul says this. He says, love must be sincere. It must be. Love must be sincere. It must hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Now, have you ever asked yourself the question, how the heck do you do that? How do you love people sincerely, especially those you don't like? The Bible says to love everybody. It doesn't say I have to like everybody. How do you sincerely love those that you don't like, that make you feel uneasy, that just have characteristics about them. They don't even have to say or do anything. You just see them and you want to punch them right in the face. You know what I'm talking about. How do you love those people? Seriously, how do you, and sincerely, because I can plaster on a smile on my face. I can be kind with my words, but how do I sincerely love them from the core of who I am? How do we do that? You know, back a couple months ago, my wife and I, after Christmas, we went uh, on a vacation to Sedona, Arizona. Anybody ever been to Sedona? 
All right, we got some fans of Sedona. Awesome. It is, it's a beautiful place. It's home of the Red Rocks, and it's so different from South Florida. Um, it's, it's desert, and, like, there's, there's no, like, I'm used to greenery. I'm used to palm trees and grass, and, and there's no grass in Sedona. Um, it, it's, it's desert land, and, but a beautiful, beautiful place. And, and for some reason, when my wife and I are on vacation, we always think it's a good idea to take a hike for some reason. And we're not... I mean, we're active people, but we're not like outdoors people, you know? Um, and so for some reason, we, we always end up on a hike when we go on vacation. And, and so we decided that we were going to hike to the Devil's Bridge. Maybe you've heard of it. And um, it's a beautiful rock formation one of a kind, and, and so we decided to take this hike to Devil's Bridge, the second day of the vacation, and, um, and when we started this hike, it, it, it was fairly easy. It was a fairly moderate hike. I mean, it was, it was just a, 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 dirt, a dirt pathway, you know. It wasn't uphill. It wasn't climbing up any rocks. It was, it was pretty moderate, and um, I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, this is nice. You know, this is actually kind of relaxing, and um, then I start to see all these people that are coming back from Devil's Bridge, and they literally look that they like they have crawled from the seven layers of hell to get back down from that mountain. I mean, they were covered from head to toe in mud. Their hair was all out of whack. They had slush and snow all over them. They were frazzles and <clears throat> out of breath. And I just remember thinking to myself, I'm like, these people are wimps. <laughs> like, seriously, they, I mean, I'm looking at Amber. I'm like, kind of looking at them, like kind of doing like a little smirk, like, Shh, we got this, we're fine. We're good, we're good. And then the dirt trail turned into a muddy trail. And so we're hiking through the mud, and, and I'm wearing new shoes, um, which who does that on a hike? But, you know, like I said, we're not really outdoors people, so I'm trying to, like, you know, try and just sludge through the mud, just kind of like that, trying not to get too dirty. And then the mud turned to, like, slush, and then there was one point where we actually had to climb upward. Like, I didn't sign up for rock climbing here. Like, what is this? And, you know, just, oh, this better be worth it, you know, all for a stupid picture. But finally, we got up to Devil's Bridge. And uh, I want to show you a picture of it. This is what Devil's Bridge looks like during summer. As you can see, it's a very unique rock formation. Um, it's a common place for, for people to hike, to take pictures. And, and you can see in the background, I mean, literally all you can see for miles is, is the mountains. I mean, as far as the eye can see, it is beautiful. It's majestic. And uh, this is a picture of what it looks like in summer. Now, we went in winter, and it looked a bit more like this. Now, listen, snow changes everything, especially when you are from South Florida, and it does not snow here. All right, so like it was a dangerous trip up this mountain. And as you notice, this picture is taken from across the bridge. It's not taken on the bridge. It's taken from across the bridge. And I want to show you another picture of Amber and I when we went. Oh, I know. So sweet. So beautiful. And uh, as you can see, this picture is taken directly on Devil's Bridge, up close. As close as you can get. We are on the bridge. And you can see the mountains. You can see the beauty of it. But I want to show you another picture. That's me, that little black dot with my widespread, my arms spread wide open. This picture is taken from across the bridge. And they recommend that, that when you hike up to Devil's Bridge, that you, have, um, you, you take pictures one at a time. Meaning that Amber and I could not take this picture together. I had to 
climb around, get on the bridge, and then I had to come back, and then she had to follow around, get on the bridge, so that we could see the big picture, so that we could see in all of its wonder and majesty and beauty, Devil's Bridge, because when you take the picture on the bridge, you don't get to see that. This can only be seen when you're on the other side of the bridge. And I think a lot of times when we're trying to love sincerely, it's the same thing. When we look at people up close, when we look at all their flaws, all their mistakes, everything they've done to irritate or frustrate us, it can be hard to love them sincerely. But when we get an eternal perspective, when we get a God-sized perspective, when we just go to the other side of the bridge and start to see them how God sees them and we see that they are a masterpiece, that they do have a purpose, that they do have a destiny, that they have gifts and talents. When we can spot out the destiny and purpose in others, that is when our love becomes sincere. And can I tell you, it is a gift. When, when, when we learn how to love others sincerely and spot out the purpose in others, oh, God will use that gift because not many people can do it. Not many people can do that. But it's getting a, a God-sized perspective, an eternal perspective, knowing that that person is a child of God. That just as it's true for you in Psalm 139, that God knits you together in your mother's womb, that he brought together all the inner parts of your being, it's just as true for everybody else in this room. And that's a convicting thought. It's nice to think about, oh, God, you love me, and I'm special, and I'm unique. But then that person that I don't like so much, i got to remind myself that, you know what, they're special and unique as well. And God loves them just as much. And God created them for a destiny. And when we spot that out in others, it allows us to love them sincerely. I want to pick up the story uh, in, in verse 7 in John chapter 5. Jesus asks this man this very important question. Do you want to get well? And listen to how, how this man responds in John chapter 5, verse 7. It says, the invalid answered, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am coming to get into it myself, someone else steps down ahead of me. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately the man was healed and recovered his strength and picked up his pallet and walked. See, real love draws others in. Real love draws others in, and it gives them a glimpse of who Jesus is. You know, as I read this story, I can't help but think of this man's 38-year journey. 38 years he waited on the outskirts of the pool of Bethesda, just waiting for his healing. 38 years, I get irritated if I have to wait 30 minutes for the pizza delivery. This man waited 38 years. 38 years. Can you imagine how helpless he must have felt after 38 years? You know, it says in the text that, that there was no one to put him in the water. That leads me to believe that he didn't have any family. He didn't have any friends. He didn't have anybody, anybody by his side. And some of you know what I'm talking about. When you're going through a storm, when you're going through an obstacle, and it doesn't feel like you have one person in your corner, and you feel discouraged. Imagine how lonely, how discouraged he must have felt. I think about how tired he must have been. 
I think about those, those moments, those seasons when the angel of the Lord came down and stirred up the water. And I could just see the look on his face. So many times, time after time, he saw the water being stirred up. And, and he thought to himself, okay, this is going to be my day. This is the day that I'm going to experience the breakthrough. This is going to be the day for my healing. It's going to happen for me today. And he picks himself up off that mat. And as, as quickly as he can, in all of his pain and all of his agony, makes his way to the pool only for somebody else to get in first. And then he watches as they get out healed. Can you imagine? I can only imagine how he must have felt. I can't even begin to picture the pain, the struggle, the frustration that he must have felt. But then Jesus shows up to the scene and Jesus does what only Jesus can do and he can change it in an instant. He can take away pain in an instant. He can take away the struggle in, the, in an instant. The man didn't even have to get into the water. Jesus was there. And Jesus spoke to him and said, do you want to get well? And I believe with all my heart, he's not just talking about his physicality. He's saying, do you want to be set free? Then get up, pick up your mat and walk. It is done. And that's exactly what happened. But I can't help but wonder that if someone had just come alongside this man in all those 38 years, imagine how many people must have bypassed him, how many people must have discounted him, how many people that passed by and didn't even know he was there. If just one person had come alongside him and said, hey, let me help you into the water. Let me help you in. I know that God wants to heal you. Let me, let me just help you. Would he have waited there 38 years? You know, this Easter, I, I believe that God is going to stir something up in his church. I believe it. I believe that, that God, there, there are miracles that he wants to, to perform next Easter, that there are lives that he wants to touch. You know, it says in, in the word that, that the church is the bride of Christ. It says that, that God loves his bride, that he gave himself up for his bride. It also says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. That means that there is freedom in the house of God. There's freedom from sins. There's freedom from bondage. There's freedom from that addiction. There's freedom from that broken relationship. God says that where his spirit is, there is freedom. That means that come Easter 2016, there's some people that God wants to set free in this place. There's some people he wants to set free. But they're just waiting on the outskirts, waiting for an invitation to the water, waiting for the invitation to the life source. And they just need somebody. They need someone like you and me to come alongside them and say, listen, do you want to get well? I see your depression. I see your broken relationships. I see your financial struggles. Do you want to get well? Because I see that you're looking for a remedy. But friend, I have the cure. I know the cure. And if we can just lead them to the water, lead them to the house of God, lead them to the life source. They can experience that healing, that breakthrough. But how many people do we bypass every single day? How many opportunities do we miss to impact the lives of others? I want to encourage you today. Who is, who is that one person that God is laying on your heart that you just need to bring to the water? You just need to bring them to the life source.
You just need to take a a few minutes and say, listen, I I care about you. I love you. I have a sincere love for you. And, and, And get them here next week and knowing that God can do what only God can do. I love what what 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says. It says, this is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed his life for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially for our fellow believers and not just be out for ourselves. If you see some other brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears, and you made it disappear. My dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. Love is not a feeling. It's not just empty words. It's an action. And the Word of God says that, you know what, we can choose to stand by and do nothing. We can choose to ignore those that are hurting, that are in need, and just say, you know what, as long as I get to church, as long as I get saved, as long as I get baptized and I am good and I, everything is good for me, every, everybody else, they can figure it out. When we do that, when we stand by and do nothing, the Bible says that we make God's love disappear. Who's that one? that's waiting on the outskirts. Maybe they're in your family. Maybe they're your coworker and they sit in the cubicle next to you. Maybe it's that student in your, class, in your classroom. Maybe it's that person you sit next to on the bus. I don't know, but who is that one that is waiting on the outskirts and they are in need of a healing. They're in need of a breakthrough. They just need to be invited in. Who's that one? You know, there's a woman who attends Potential Church. Her name is Amy, and I want to share her story with you. Amy was first invited to Potential Church by her roommate, Maria. And Maria, for for those of you who don't know, she's our first impressions director, and she serves a part of our staff team. And uh, Maria and Amy move in together, and Maria begins to invite Amy to church. And at first, or yeah, Maria invites Amy to church. At first, Amy wasn't very interested. Maria would invite her and she would say, oh, we know what, this this weekend's just not good for me. It's been a rough week at work. I don't think I'm gonna make it. Oh, I would love to. I'm gonna get there at some point, but, 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 but I got something going on this weekend. Just wasn't very interested in attending church. This was a five-year journey. For five years, Maria continued to love on her. Maria continued to pray for her. Maria continued to invite her. And weekend after weekend, Amy would watch Maria serve and pour out her heart to this place. She would watch her love on the people of this house. And if you remember, in the weeks leading up to Easter in 2015, Pastor Troy uh, encouraged the congregation to move forward. And we had white chairs scattered across this auditorium. And he encouraged everyone, write down the name of that one person that you're inviting to Easter. And so Maria moved forward. And she wrote down Amy's name. And she just began to pray, God, let this be the yes that I've been searching for. Father, let this be the invitation that makes an impact. God, I know that you have great plans for her life. I know that she has a purpose. And God, I know that if I can just lead her to the life source, that you can perform a miracle in her life. And so she continued to invite. She continued to pray for her. And unfortunately, Amy didn't accept the invitation on Easter, but she did accept the invitation a few weeks after Easter. 
And she came to Potential Church for the first time. And not only did she attend a service, but she actually surrendered her life to Christ. She got baptized at the beach baptism luau, if you remember last year. She serves every week. She's holding on to the promises of God. And listen, what I love about that story is that Amy encountered the love of God long before she stepped through the doors of a church. And it was in her roommate, Maria. That's what real love does. It draws others in. It draws others closer to Christ. Who's that one person? That one person that God's laid on your heart. Because it matters. It matters who you invite next week. And it matters if they're here or not. This is not a game. This is a battle. And we serve a God that that can change our circumstances, that can take our problems away. He can move any mountain that stands before us, no matter how big, no matter how small. And he wants to set people free. He wants to set them free. So who is that one? Will you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for the gift of Easter. Thank you that you sent your one and only son, Father, to die on a cross for for our sin, God, for our mess-ups. Father, I pray that you would lay that one name of who we need to invite next weekend, God. I pray that you put it so heavily on our hearts. May we not be able to sleep until we've invited them to Easter at Potential. And not just so we can have record-breaking numbers, not just for numbers' sake, but because every single number represents a name, represents a face, represents a story, God. Lay them on our hearts. Father, use us as your humble servants. Because we don't have a remedy, we have the cure. Our world needs a cure. Our world does not need another band-aid. Our world does not need another law. Our world does not need another temporary solution. Our world needs the cure. Jesus, you are the cure. I pray we take it seriously. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just stir up the courage on the inside of us to relentlessly pursue those who are lost, those who know nothing of your love, those who know nothing of your sacrifice. God, stir up a burning desire and passion in your church to reach those whom are lost. Father, I just declare that come Easter 2016, chains are going to be broken. Thousands of people will walk through those doors, God. And it will be record-breaking numbers, and not for numbers' sake, but for, for life change, God. For, for, for those whom you came to set free, for their sake, God, that we would have record-breaking numbers, God. That, that thousands would follow you in baptism, God. That they would get connected, that they would start serving and take their next step, God. And there's nothing that the devil can do about it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We ask for the increase. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. We thank you. We bless you. We honor you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Isn't God good? He's good all the time. Uh, I can't wait for Easter. God's going to do some miraculous things. You know, before we head out of here today, I, 
I do want to lead us in an opportunity to give. And there's a giving envelope right there in the seat back in front of you. And you can give online. You can give through our app. You can give at the kiosk located around campus. And listen, giving matters because people matter. And I want you to know that that you're not just filling out a number on the envelope or putting dollars in the offering bucket. Every single dollar dropped, every single number written down on that envelope represents a face, a name, and a story. I hope you know that. And we may not know until we get to heaven the impact that our generosity has, but let me tell you, it has such an impact, such an impact. So I encourage us, let's be generous today. Let's be generous. And generosity looks different from, for everyone. It's not about the, 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 the amount. God wants to see your heart. And he tells us in his word that, you know, he who waters will himself be refreshed. That means he who gives, it will be returned to him. So let's be generous. I'm going to invite the ushers forward. And as I do, I just want to lead us in a word of prayer over our generosity. Father, I pray that what we offer to you today, that you would multiply it many times over, many times over. God, do what only you can do. Multiply it. And may it touch all ends of the earth, God. May we never be satisfied with where we are. Father, we're chasing after those 50 campuses, that 100,000 people, that $150 million budget. We're chasing after the vision and mission of this house. And God, I pray that what we offer today, you will use to further the vision of this house. We thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to give. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.